walked right next to us, but we couldn't see him. Can you believe it? He was actually the one that we were looking for and hoping for, but we couldn't see him. We thought he came to redeem us from Rome, but we were so wrong. He didn't meet our expectations because our expectations were too small. We could not see him because our hurt, because of our pain, it blinded us. The doubt, the disappointment, the discouragement was too much for us to bear. But the one walking with us began to help us see. He opened the scriptures and taught us and revealed that he was the one who bought us. We invited the stranger into our home and our hearts began to burn within. He took bread and blessed it. We were blessed because finally we could see the resurrected blessed one. He's the one that rose from the dead. And right in that moment, even though he disappeared from our sight, we could finally see him more clearly. Father, thank you this morning for your word. God, thank you for the hope that we have found in Christ and we've experienced in him. And Father, um, as we celebrated last week this amazing thing called the resurrection of Christ, I thank you for the pages that follow in your word where your resurrection is substantiated. And Father, I pray this morning that as our, our hearts have been prepared to worship now that you would open our minds and that you would allow truth in the in, inward most being. And Father, I, I thank you for truth. Jesus said that if you know the truth, the truth sets you free. And over the days following the resurrection of Christ, you would bring more and more freedom into the lives of people who came into the realization that the grave could not hold you and death could not keep you. And Father, I pray this morning that anyone who's here today who is struggling with um, some sense of death in their life would remember that there's nothing so dead that God cannot bring it back to life. Father, I pray that as you infused hope into the lives of these early believers, that you would bring hope into our lives. Father, I thank you this morning for the great hope that we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be free to speak to our hearts this morning as we open your word together. And Father, we, we just submit to your will. We say yes to your will, even before we might know what that means this morning. And I pray that we just simply say yes. We love you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week was a great Sunday across uh, in our church and here at Canyon Country and probably across the city. It's a great Sunday for our network. Uh, I think... Um, we had a total of just over 600 in our three campuses. Isn't that exciting? And it really is, man. I we were thrilled. Uh, we had, um, we had. Uh, uh, I don't really know what we had here. We won't talk about here. But uh, Sunland really had their first public service. Um, 
last Sunday. Uh, we've reopened that campus down there, and they had their first sort of public service. They had 113. Isn't that awesome? And uh, so we, we had to kind of hold Tim down all week, and uh, he was close to rapturing before the time. But... Uh, it was pretty awesome, really was, and, but we had, we had just a great weekend. Thank you guys for all the work you did to make the day meaningful for us and for those who came. If you're back from uh, your first Sunday, Sunday with us last Sunday, uh, we hope you don't find that there's a whole lot of difference. Uh, unfortunately, all we have is donut holes today. We have bagels. And we do have bagels, and uh, I didn't know that. So, wow, we really are following up on Easter really well. One other thing, there is something at the back over here. I, I went to a meeting on Friday night. I went to a, an event over at an elementary school at Leona Cox. We do some work with Leona Cox. We do some ministry over there serving, and we serve hot dogs at a PTA fair they had, and at the end of the day, they had a whole lot of baked goods left over. And so I, I told... Uh, Valerie, just bring them here because everybody at Heart of the Canyons needs more junk food. And, um, and so if you'd go back there, you'll, you'll help that school, Leona Cox. Just go by and get, a, get something. Is this me roaring? Am I roaring? I'm roaring. My dad did that all the time. But uh, Tommy, you would know that, wouldn't you? I want you, this is uh, string fellows. These people, I was in his wedding, and I've known this. How long have I known you guys? I was in your wedding too, right, Riet? Yeah. Was in 58 years. 58 years. Isn't that awesome? Wow. And uh, I saw somebody on the front row worshiping, and I thought, that must be a visitor. No, I'm just joking. It was Riet. But uh, Tommy's been in ministry for a long, long time. Pastored. How many? He retired last week. Well, you came to a good church after you retired. So, uh, Tommy, thank you for being here. I know he served up and down the state as a director of missions. He served as a pastor for many, many years down in Hollywood. Hollywood. Hollywood, excuse me. And, um, but he's been down there. I've not, his mom and dad were two of my favorite. Um, your, your mom and dad, two of my favorite people. Her dad was one of the craziest human beings I've ever known. And, uh, but, man, it's so good to see you. I don't do this very often on Sunday morning, but hey, it's a Sunday after Easter. Um, it's, it's good. But um, anyway, uh, where am I? I'm in candy country. That's it. Well, this morning we kind of begin a journey, or we don't kind of begin. We begin a journey through the appearances of Jesus after his resurrection. And I'm really excited about this journey. I really am. Except for today, we're going to stay true to the chronological order of Jesus' appearance after his resurrection. Um, but because Mother's Day is a couple of weeks away, we're going we're to hold off Mary's encounter and the women's encounter with Jesus until Mother's Day, because I thought that would be appropriate. And so we're going to kind of not skip over that. We're going to look beyond that today, and we're going to look at one of the other records of Jesus' appearance after uh, his resurrection um, there are actually 10 records of Jesus' appearance to people over a 40-day period. Five of those happen on one day. Uh, five of the 10 happen on day one. Uh, you... So I am, my stomach is really bothering. So, yeah. so can we fix that, guys? Would I be better off to take this? 
Am I good? All right, I'm good. Um, you hope. <laughs> but um, uh, five of those happen on day one. Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene, then to the other women. Uh, somewhere in here, he appears to Peter, and we don't know all there is. There's not really a whole lot about that in the scriptures. Uh, and then Jesus appears to the two men we're going to look at today uh, on the road to Emmaus or in the walk to Emmaus. And then they hurry back to Jerusalem. Jesus has, appears first to the disciples uh, in, uh, in the evening after his resurrection. And then there are five others that are spread out over the next 39 days before Jesus ascends to be with the Father. So we're going to look at those because I think they have some unique things for us. Um, when you look at this particular account, you realize that uh, it's a very important account. Um, these two people are identified as disciples, but they're not apostles. Okay, there's a difference. Now, the, the disciples, the apostles were disciples, but not all disciples were, would become apostles. They weren't part of the 11 that are remaining now. And so these two, uh, we assume men, it may have been a man and a woman, we don't really know, but, um, you know, um, he appears to these two people on a walk to Emmaus, about a seven-mile walk between Jerusalem and wherever this little community is. Um, um, it is argued, and I think this is very important, that they're not apostles because it's argued by some who are opponents of our faith that the, the, the apostles, the original 11 that are left, uh, make up some story to kind of save face or maybe to gain some, some kind of power or whatever it may be. And so what you find is Jesus doesn't just appear to apostles now. He appears to the women. We'll talk about why that's significant uh, in a couple of weeks. And now he appears to two men, one by the name of Cleopas, and we don't know the name of the other one, but he appears to them. And, um, and, and it's important because these are non-apostolic witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Guys, this is very important for me, and here's why it's important to me. I've never lived at a time in my life where I see more skepticism regarding Christianity than the day in which we currently live. Unfortunately, I'm not just talking about skepticism outside the church. I'm talking about skepticism inside the church, and there's just a whole lot of it, and I think these events really are strong affirmations to us that these events are, in fact, true, and that what happened in the days that followed the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ have, have significant evidence for us to believe. They really do have significant evidence in our belief system. And so today we're going to, to look at this particular appearance, and, and I think you're going to be encouraged by what we, what we look at together. What I want you to see in today's message is basically this. God understands the questions and doubts that you have. And the truth is, I really believe God's a very patient God. In fact, Timothy, P Peter says that God is patient, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And he understands that in our humanity, sometimes we are going to have questions and doubts with regard to our faith, just like the people who he appeared to in this text were having questions and doubts regarding their own faith. And what we're going to see is we're going to see God's patience in that, we're going to see how God confronts that doubt, and then we're going to talk about what happens in the lives of these men or people because they had a real encounter with Jesus Christ. And it's my prayer today 
that as you listen to this, that you'll allow God to minister to you at whatever point of doubt you may have. Realize that God's not mad at you because you have doubts. And that you'll allow your God to, to challenge your faith and grow your faith to a point that when you believe in him so strongly, uh, it literally transforms your life. It literally transforms who you are and, and what you do. When you, when you look at the issue of the resurrection, you know how important it was to the early church. In fact, you, you can't read many pages in the New Testament without hearing, and hearing about the resurrection of Christ. The Apostle Paul, who was uh, sort of the theologian of the early church, uh, establishes some incredible spiritual truths for us all through the book of Romans. But when he gets to the 10th chapter, he basically says these words. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that means he's the boss. Okay? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God, what, raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And it's important for us to understand that this event called the resurrection is vital to our faith. In fact, if there is no resurrection, according to Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, that if there's no resurrection of the dead, then, then our faith is futile. In fact, he says, our faith is lived out in vain because we of all people have hope because we believe that Christ not only died for our sins according to the scripture, but Christ was buried and he rose again according to the scripture. And so this morning, as we look at these incredible texts of scripture, we're going to see how God confronts our doubts. The first thing we see and the way God confronts our doubts is that God considers the emotions that blind us. God considers the emotions that blind us. Now, if I would have written this later in the week, I probably just would have written the word things that blind us. Because there's more than emotion that blinds us. There's a lot of things that blind us many times from seeing the truth. Uh, confusion is not an emotion so much. Confusion definitely produces some interesting emotions. But for the most part, confusion is a result of a combination of things. As we read through these uh, 11 verses in the initial encounter that Jesus has with these men on this walk to Emmaus, I want you to think to yourself, what would you be feeling at this particular point in time in your life? Because I think it's important to think about what they were feeling. I mean, these men probably had followed Jesus for some time. These weren't just recent converts or recent disciples of Christ. They may have followed Jesus for a good part of the three years. We don't really know who they are. They're not talked about anywhere else. But these people had followed Jesus, may very well have been in the crowd about nine days earlier when the crowd was throwing their clothing and the palm leaves before him, calling him Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They may have been present when Jesus was executed. These people had seen all this stuff and yet in their minds, there was confusion because it didn't turn out exactly like they thought it should. You guys understand that, don't you? Because sometimes life doesn't turn out the way we expect it to. And it just hadn't turned out that way. And so here you have these two men, and they're probably walking back to Emmaus, either a stop-off place, or maybe this is even where they lived. And as they're walking along, they're talking about the events that have happened, and Jesus suddenly appears to them. Let's read it together. That very day, two of them were going into a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about the things that had happened. 
And while they were talking, discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. That's an interesting passage, isn't it? They were kept from recognizing him. You wonder why? Why would Jesus have not just immediately shown them who he was? Because they weren't ready. They weren't ready. And so the Bible says that Jesus kept them from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they uh, stood still looking sad. Now here it is, they're walking along and Jesus says, what are you talking about? So they stopped, looked at him. And they, they were obviously sad. There's an emotion. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered to him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? What things? That's kind of an interesting question, isn't it? He knew what things that had happened to him. See, Jesus is trying to draw things out of them. Remember, as a parent, have you ever had a time in your life where your children did something wrong, and you could have just told them what they did wrong, but instead, as a parent, because you wanted them to thank you, didn't say, you did this, this, and this. You basically said, you tell me what you did. Why? Because you're trying to teach them something. This is a lesson that they need to learn. And so he said, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned uh, to, to death and crucified him. But we had hoped, an emotion, a feeling, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes. And besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that, it'd been, that, he, that he even, they'd even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Now, I'm certain of one thing here. These two people, whoever they were, Cleopas and whoever it was, are people whose mind now is filled with a lot of doubt and confusion and frustration and maybe anger. I mean, they could add all kinds of emotions running through their life at this time. And they're walking back to where they came from. And they're not going back with a hope that they now have a king that's conquered the false religion that was in Jerusalem and the religious rulers are the political rulers that were there. They were going back wondering, what is the thing we do next? We basically left everything we had to follow Jesus. And it just did not turn out like we expected. Now, I was looking at this passage and I thought, what are some of the components that might cause confusion in this text of Scripture? Let me give you three of them. You might want to write these down. They're not on your outline. The first thing that might cause confusion is what I would call uninformed conversations. Have you ever had conversations with people where nobody in the room knows what they're talking about? <laughs> Say, I come here every Sunday. Have you ever done that? Have you ever, have you ever gotten in a group of people and you guys are talking about everything going on in the world and you know, you're solving the world's problems? You don't even know the world's problems, but you're solving all the world's problems. And so there's this conversation going on between these two guys. And, and they really 
are sort of ignorant of a lot of things when it comes to this conversation. And so they're just kind of talking and trying to console one another and say, you know, it's going to be all right, brother. We're going to make it. And we don't know what we're going to do now, but we'll get through this. And I mean, you just go through this kind of conversation, but there's really no content to the conversation whatsoever. And I think that's sort of where they are right now. And you, so you have these people who, who are just sort of involved in, in these uninformed conversations. It says they were talking to each other about the things that had happened, that had happened. The second thing would be what I would call unmet expectations. They had a lot of unmet expectations, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. He was. He just didn't redeem them the way they thought he would. You see, they had expectations that were different than what God had told them. And sometimes we get in trouble with unmet expectations, don't we? How many of you entered into marriage with one set of expectations, found out it is not exactly what you expected? I see three hands. It's all women. <laughs> Every man said, not me, Bubba. It's not true, is it? We, we enter into things. I mean, how many of you thought how wonderful it was going to be when you had children? How many of you found out that they're actually work? Yeah, they are. But we have these expectations. We see, we bring our expectations with us when we enter into things. And honestly, unmet expectations have probably destroyed more things than many things that I can think of. So there was uninformed conversations, there were unmet expectations. Number three, there was unbelievable circumstances. These were unbelievable. Listen to this. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. I mean, they amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it was just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Now, there are two things that made this unbelievable in the minds of these two people or these two witnesses. First one was simply the inability to believe in the impossible. The inability to believe in the impossible. You know, we live in a world where people say, I only want to believe what can be proven. Now, I don't believe that because we do a lot of things with a lot of things in our world and we don't understand how it works. But we live in a world that really highlights and really glorifies sort of natural explanation is what we do. There's a lot of that out there today. When I talk to a lot of people today, particularly young people, I talk to a lot of people and I engage with a lot of people. When I talk to them, I find that many of them don't have a problem believing some of the history of the Bible, but they just have a hard time with this thing called miracles. They have a hard time with it. And maybe these guys were struggling with some of the same issues. They had no problem believing in his death. Very possibly, they might have even seen it. But to believe in the resurrection moved them beyond their naturalistic reality into a world that required them to live by faith. It required them to live by faith. Not blind faith, but faith that was established in a reality. You see, I'm real careful, and I, have a, I know there's a lot of people today who want to dismiss the miraculous in the church today. I don't want to do that. I, believe still God, I still believe God's a miracle-working God. Amen. How many of you have uh, ever seen God, evidence of God doing the miraculous? We got a couple sitting right over here this week. They had a grandson that was born. 
and he was born under difficult circumstances. He was actually born in the home before they got to the doctor. And he uh, was not breathing well early and actually did without oxygen for quite some time. I don't know exactly how long it was. How long, long was it? About 40 minutes. But they got him kind of lit up a little bit here and there and took him to the hospital. And, and I think it was Wednesday I went in to visit with his mom and dad. And uh, she looked at me with tears in her eyes and she said, the doctor, the doctor said that he's a miracle. Yeah, it wasn't, yeah. And he's breathing on his own now, right? And uh, he's, he's got a long way to go, but so do I. I'm still getting, trying to get my brain to work. Just miracles. You know, guys, don't, don't, you don't want to, you don't want to make silly things out. We're not, I, I'm not talking about, we're not talking about believing in the ridiculous. We're talking about believing in the miraculous. The second thing, we'll spend more time on Mother's Day, but I just want to mention it. The second is, is sort of unreliable witnesses. I'm not saying this uh, for myself, because I, but I didn't grow up in their world. In their day, women were not credible witnesses for anything. They couldn't even, be, they couldn't even testify in a court of law. Isn't it interesting that the first witnesses to the resurrected Christ were to people who the world said didn't have any credibility. I think that's important because the world doesn't think we have any either. Now, I don't believe that's true at all. But I think it's one of the great miracles of the Bible. We'll look at it more in a couple of weeks. But here's what I want you to see. In all of this, I want you to see that God understands where you are today. He understands the things that have caused you to doubt or fear or maybe not believe. Because I don't know what's caused you to do that. You don't. I went to another surgery this week for a man who had open heart surgery, literally open heart surgery. They had to fix the aortic uh, valve and they had to fix an aneurysm on the aorta. And so they aorta? Aorder. That's a Texas word for a. <laughs> Aorder. <laughs> How would you say it? Aorta. Aorta. Aorta fix that. That's what you ought to do. <laughs> That's so bad. I should stick to my notes, right? Jim Gustin? <laughs> Aorta fix that. So that's a redneck term. So um, <laughs> now I don't even know what I'm talking about. But. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I, one of his friends came, and he practiced a certain area of law enforcement, and I listened to that man tell some of the stories of what he experienced and how he struggled believing in God. You know, in my heart, I wanted to convince him what it was true, but for me to be able to adequately convince him, I needed to be sensitive to what had caused him to question what he had in his life. And here's the so, such a cool thing to me about Jesus. Jesus knows your doubts. He knows your questions. He knows your fears. He knows your anxieties. But he loves you. And he wants you to believe in him. He really does. 
Now, the second thing in this passage of Scripture, though, is very important because not only does God consider the emotions that blind us, the second thing we see in this passage is that God confronts our skepticism with biblical truth. He confronts our skepticism with biblical truth. It's interesting in this passage of Scripture that Jesus didn't validate his resurrection with anything that he had said or done while he was alive in the three years before this. I mean, I don't know about you, but if it had been me, I would have said, come on, guys, can't you see? I'm the guy who made blind people see and people who are lame walk, and I taught you some great sermons, and I'd have been bragging about all the things I did. Jesus sort of just completely passes over that stuff. He could have. What does he do? He takes them back to the Word of God. He takes them back to the Word of God. I mean, he could have said, I told you I was going to die. I told you I was going to be raised from the dead. I even performed miracles and miraculous events to validate who I was and, and would validate what I would do. I mean, I may even raise people from the dead. I mean, you remember Jairus' daughter? She was dead, and Jesus brought her back to life. Remember Lazarus? Rather, Jesus confronts their skepticism with scriptures of promise. You see, true belief is not just based on what we have experienced or what we hope to experience. It is built on a reliable record, records that were revealed in the past, realized in the present, and they're therefore trustworthy in the future. Uh, I, I, I've been reading some, I read some statistic this week, and that's why this is important to me. We're losing people out of the church to the world at an alarming rate today. An alarming rate today. I would dare say that if some statistics are true, we actually have more people leaving the church than arriving at the church. And sometimes I wonder why. Frank Turek, who is an apologetic speaker, He's an apologist, said these words. He says, the reason so many are being talked out of the faith today is because they never really were talked into the faith. You see, Jesus takes them back. He takes them back to what God had told them in the Old Testament. Listen to the roots of faith that Jesus sowed into their lives. In Luke 2, Luke 24, he says these words, and he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into the, his glory? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. I'd love to have heard that sermon, wouldn't you? I wish they'd had tape recordings back then and we could have posted them online. Just think about it. Now, what it tells me is this was not, Jesus didn't encounter them late in the walk. This was early in the walk, and he walks them through the Old Testament. I wish we had time to look at it. Let me just read some things, because I believe every book in the Old Testament screams of Jesus. So I'm going to read something to you real quick. Can I read to you real quick? Let me, let me show you Jesus in the Old Testament. Jesus in every book of the Old Testament. In Genesis, Jesus Christ is the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Numbers, he is the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's the prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, he's the captain of our salvation. In Judges, he's our judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he's our reigning king. 
In Ezra, he is, our, he is the builder of the broken down walls of human life. In Esther, he is our Mordecai. In Job, he is our ever-living redeemer. In Psalms, he is our shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he is our wisdom. In the Song of Solomon, he is the loving bridegroom. In Isaiah, he is the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he is the righteous branch. In Lamentations, he is our weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he is the wonderful four-faced man. In Ezekiel, he is the, in, in Daniel, he is the fourth man in life's fiery furnace. In Hosea, he is the faithful husband, forever married to the backslider. In Joel, he is the baptizer with the Holy Ghost and fire. In Amos, he is the burden bearer. In Obadiah, he is the mighty to save. In Jonah, he is the great foreign missionary. In Micah, he is the messenger of, a beautiful, of, of beautiful feet. In, um, in Nahum, he is the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, he is God's evangelist crying, revive the work in the midst of the years. In Zephaniah, he is our savior. In Haggai, he is the restorer of God's lost heritage. In Zechariah, he is the fountain open in the house of David for sin and uncleanliness. In Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, he is the son of righteousness rising with healings in his wings. Everywhere you look in the Old Testament, you read of Jesus. Now, I don't know how much time he took. I don't really have a clue. But I can tell you this. When he got through that day, they knew what the scripture said. And they had a better understanding of what it meant. You see, the Old Testament always points us to Jesus. In John 5, 39, Jesus said to the religious leaders, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. In the scriptures, in the scriptures you think you have eternal life. But this is what he says. It is, and it is they that bear witness about me. It is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Folks, please hear me. You're never going to deal with the confusion in your heart if you don't bring your heart into agreement or you don't come into a place of agreement with what God has revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And here's the cool thing. God not only is compassionate to us in our confusion, and God not only confronts things with truth, but when we begin to realize who he is, God changes the direction that we are going. God changes the directions that we go. It says they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So they went in to stay with, he went to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Isn't that exciting? And then look at this. And then they said, Did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road? while he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he's appeared to Simon. So we know he appeared to Simon at some point. This is Peter. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. You see, something changed in their life. Jesus began to communicate with them 
something began to burn in their hearts. You know, I was, I've always looked for uh, some description of what I think the conviction of the Holy Spirit is in the lives of people before they come to Christ, and I think this is a good description. It's a good description. Because, you see, when, when, when the Holy Spirit begins to engage your heart with the truth of God's Word, it's sort of a burning in your heart. You guys know what I'm talking about? I mean, I, I don't really know how to explain it. I mean, I just love the way they said it. They said, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? So much so that when Jesus said, I'm just going to keep going, they said, no, 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 I want you to stay. I want you to stay. See, a lot of people want to kind of walk and have a conversation with Jesus. But they don't really ask him to stay. What's interesting is that when Jesus goes in, they sit down to eat. And Jesus acts out of character. Because actually, they are the ones who are supposed to be serving Jesus. And so Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it. And suddenly their eyes were opened. And they realized, now, I, I don't know why. I don't, there's nothing in this text that tells me why. I read one guy and he said, because it was probably at that moment when he broke the bread that they saw the scars in his hands. I don't know. But whatever it was, when Jesus broke that bread, their eyes were opened. And they realized, that they were with Jesus after he had died. Here's, here's my conclusion of this. I think everybody in this room has had or will have at some point in your life that moment when something happens and something in your heart burns. Something. I don't know what it will be. Could be a crisis. Could be a phone ringing. <laughs> Am I the only one hearing that? Okay. It's the ice cream truck. There you go. Um, wow. Could be any number of things. I don't know what it is. I, I, I'm just of the opinion. I, I just kind of have this opinion that every human being, when they stand before God one day, will have a moment in their life when they look back when God, God was trying to get their attention. But they didn't invite him to stay. Maybe that's you today. Maybe, maybe things are going on in your life right now, and honestly, it's tough. And maybe through the circumstances, God's trying to speak into your heart. I mean, that, that may be why you're here today. You may have come simply because somebody made you come, or because... Uh, you know, you just thought, well, okay, they've been asking me to go, I'll go. But maybe, just maybe, 
Something in your heart burns. And you can either invite Jesus in to stay. Or maybe not. You see, God understands your confusion. And here's the amazing thing. He confronts that confusion with truth. Here's the truth. Jesus died according to the scriptures. He was buried. And he rose again according to the scriptures. And here's what's even more cool for you. He did that for you. And for me. And when you invite him into your heart, something happens. You know what he does? He changes your direction. I don't know where these guys were going. I don't know if, again, I don't know if Emmaus was the stopping point or if it was a layover point on their way back to Galilee or wherever they may have been going. I don't really know that. But what I do know is when they encountered Jesus, you know what they did? They turned and ran right back to where they had come from. They went right back into the lion's mouth. Because I guarantee you, in Jerusalem right now, they're looking for disciples of Jesus. Because something's missing. It's called a body. So much so that you know what the disciples are doing? They're hiding. And Cleopas and whoever this other guy was, they could have just kept going. But what did they do? They got up and hurriedly, they went back to Jerusalem seven miles. And by the way, it's seven miles uphill from here. Seven miles they went back just to tell the disciples he is truly risen. And God changed their direction. He, he changed their emotions. He changed their mental state. He changed their physical direction. Here's what I know. When you invite Jesus in, he changes your life. Changes your life. Folks, let me tell you something. Jesus is alive. And the amazing thing for me is he had a desire to live in my heart. And he'd love to live in yours. If he does, if he does, it will radically change your heart. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for thank you that many of us in this room have encountered you. Now, not physically. We, I, I've not seen a physical Jesus, but boy, I've experienced you in the power of the Holy Spirit and through the word of God. Your word says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Your, your, your word even says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Father, I pray this morning if there's anybody in this room who has never come to a saving knowledge of Christ. Maybe, God, you've been working on their heart lately. That's why they're here today. Maybe, God, you... Um, maybe you... Um, 
are, are drawing them to yourself right now. God, I pray that if there's anybody in this room, and God, you're, you're putting an urge in their heart, a burning in their heart. I pray they would invite you in. God, your word says, uh, you stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and dine with him and he with me. So God, I pray this morning that in the quietness of our heart, we would just recognize the amazing power of the name of Jesus. And God, we trust you with all of our heart. Father, thank you that you're alive pray that you'd live in our midst. As we worship the name of Jesus for these next few moments, as we close this service, God, I pray that you would be honored above everything else. And God, we love you. And we commit these next few moments to you. In Jesus' name, I